Here's some good news. If you're like most people, you're way above average at almost everything. Psychologists call this the state of illusory superiority. It's also called the Lake Wobegon effect. From Garrison Keillor's fictional Minnesota town where all the children are above average, it simply means that we tend to inflate our, our positive qualities and abilities, especially in comparison to other people. Numerous research studies have revealed this tendency to overestimate ourselves. For instance, when researchers asked a million high school students how well they got along with their peers, none of the students rated themselves below average. As a matter of fact, 60% of the students believed they were in the top 10%. 25% rated themselves in the top 1%. You'd think college professors might have more self-insight, but they were just as biased about their abilities. 2% rated themselves below average, 10% were average, and 63% were above average, while 25% rated themselves as truly exceptional. Of course, this is statistically impossible. One researcher summarized the data this way. It's the great contradiction. The average person believes he is better, uh, is a better person than the average person. Christian psychologist Mark McMinn contends that the Lake Wobegon effect reveals our pride. He writes, one of the clearest conclusions of social, social science research is that we are proud. We think better of ourselves than we really are. We, we see our faults in faint black and white rather than in vivid color. And we assume the worst in others while assuming the best in ourselves. So what's the solution to pride? Let's look at the second chapter of Philippians to find out. We're in our second week of our Philippians study called No Greater Joy. Last week we talked about joy's perspective and we talked about prayer, the prayer that brings joy the prayer for others, the prayer for their spiritual growth, and Joy's perspective that helps us overcome adversity. Today we're going to see the power of humility. In the second chapter of Philippians, Paul is attempting to repair frictional relational damage that had occurred in this fellowship. It began when two of the women had a disagreement. Evidently, these strained relationships had spread throughout the church as people argued and complained. The problem was not enough humility and too much pride. The answer to pride is humility. Today in Philippians 2, we see humility's power. Paul commends humility. You might ask, why humility? What is the basis for unifying? It's humility. Please join me in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, of course there was comfort from love, participation from the Holy Spirit, affection and sympathy with the Philippians. And we too should do that and have that for one another. Paul was calling them to humility. And what was his appeal for unifying humility? Look at verse 2. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord 
and of one mind. Same mind, same love. Did we? Did they have to agree about everything? No. They needed to love each other and have the same mind. What was the mistake? What was the mistake? It was a me-first attitude. The first part of verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. On Tuesday, September 8th, five years ago, a British Airways jet caught fire at the Las Vegas airport, sending smoke billowing into the air. After suffering what the pilot described as a catastrophic failure of the left engine, the plane, a Boeing 777, headed from the U.S. city's McCarran Airport to London Gatewick. It could be seen with flames around its fuselage. Can you imagine? The pictures of a burning jetliner in Las Vegas were certainly riveting. But as the plane burst into smoke and flames, some observers saw something even more startling. People stopped during their evacuation to grab their luggage. Authorities are certainly concerned about planes that burst into flames, but they're also worried that we'd risk our lives to grab our carry-on bags. So what's the big deal with grabbing one carry-on bag? The FAA requires planes to be evacuated within 90 seconds. One Chicago air traffic controller wrote, let's say the average delay time per bag is five seconds. This includes the time needed to reach up to open the overhead compartment, pulling the bag down, and the extra delay hauling it through the crowded aisle. If half of the 170 people on board flight 2276 took the time to take their bag, the evacuation would have taken an additional seven minutes longer than necessary. Imagine being the last one to exit the smoke-filled cabin, knowing that your one-minute evac time is now over seven minutes. One veteran pilot with a major U.S. airline said, we're always shaking our head. It doesn't matter what you say, people are going to do what they want to do. Or as one blogger summarized this, people love their carry-ons more than life itself. Pride was a problem in Philippi, and it is still today. Selfishness, selfishness was the problem in Philippi, and it also is today. The solution to this me first is other first or you first. Look at verse 3b and 4. Paul continues to write, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Humility was commended by Paul. Humility is a unifier. It says others first. And then Paul goes on and gives us four quick examples of humility. First, we see Christ's humility in verses 5 through 9. Jesus is our ultimate example of humility. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. 
Notice Christ's exaltation in verses 10 and 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Scholars refer to this emptied himself as an important statement, as kenosis, that's the Greek word. By becoming a man, Jesus did not lay aside his deity. Christ didn't become any less God, but he chose not to use some of his divine attributes. This involved a veiling of his pre-incarnate glory and the voluntary non-use of some of his divine abilities during the time he was on earth. For God to become a man was humbling enough, but he was he was willing to go even further. Christ could have come to earth in his true position as king of the universe. Instead, he took the role of a servant. The creator chose to serve his creatures. Becoming a man is humbling. Taking the nature of a servant was more humbling. Christ went still further. He humbled himself to the extent of being willing to die like a common criminal on a cross. Crucifixion was the most degrading kind of execution that could be inflicted on a man. Christ's death was unique. He died not for what he had done. He was sinless with no penalty to pay. He died for others. He died to pay the penalty for the sins of the world. At a reception honoring musician Sir Robert Mayer, on his 100th birthday, Elderly British socialite Lady Diana Cooper fell into conversation with a friendly woman who seemed to know her well. Lady Diana's failing eyesight prevented her from recognizing her fellow guest until she peered more closely at the magnificent diamonds and realized she was talking to Queen Elizabeth. Overcome with embarrassment, Lady Diana curtsied and stammered, Ma'am, oh ma'am, I'm sorry ma'am, I didn't recognize you without your crown. It was so much Sir Robert's evening, the queen replied, that I decided to leave it behind. Jesus left his crown behind when he became a man and emptied himself. He served and gave his life for us. Jesus showed his humility through obedience. I believe that Paul, as he wrote the book of Philippians, realized that we would would know that Christ's example was too great a leap for us to follow alone. It could cause us to give up hope that we would ever be able to be humble. So he gave us three other examples of humility. Paul first gives himself as an example of humility in verses 12 through 18. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day 
of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. A lot of times when we hear this, work out your salvation, we don't do the work to be saved. We are saved by grace through faith. You live out the fact that you have been saved. And Paul says, shine like lights. In some translations, it says, shine like stars. How do we shine like stars in the night? How do we live out this ongoing moral example as children who reflect the perfection of the Father? We must grasp hold of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Would people who lived and worked with you say, you shine like stars, or that you were a black hole that drains the energy from the universe around you? What would they say about you? Paul doesn't only give himself as an example. He shares his spiritual son's example. Let's look at Timothy's humility, verses 19 through 24. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by the news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Timothy ministered to meet the needs of Christians and the interest of Jesus Christ. He lived out the humble, self-giving life example that Christ had. He stood out as a bright star in the dark heavens. Young Timothy was a living testimony of the kind of Christian Paul was instructing the Philippians to be. Let's look in verses 25 through 30. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again." and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Epaphroditus had needs too. He had been away from home too long. Homesickness plagued him. Part of the reason for his homesickness was his worry over the reaction of family and friends to his, to the news of his own illness. Their worries provoked deeper worries in him because he cared so deeply for him. He needed to go home. Paul needed him to go help his home church, the Church of Philippi. Epaphroditus displayed sacrificial love. He risked his life to complete what was lacking in the Philippian service 
to Paul. He served Paul in the place of the Philippians. God has created us to be relational creatures. We need other people because we are created as social beings. God has created us so that we cannot make it alone. We must have relationships, interaction, and contact with others. This need is because we are created in the image of God, and God is a relational being. Because God has created us to want and need interaction with relationships with others, He has established humanity so that we cannot have good relationships without treating others well. When I treat you well and you treat me well, then we both get our needs met in the context of love and unity. When I treat you poorly and you treat me poorly, then we are each isolated and and unhappy. When Christ asks me to regard another person as more important than myself, what he wants is to give me deep, satisfying relationships with others. The harm he wants to keep for me is the barrenness of loneliness. Therefore, the key to satisfying and sustaining relationships is sacrificial love. Philippians 2 teaches us that people who love humbly and unselfishly spread joy and promote unity. Humility is an essential attitude for success in the spiritual life. Any self-conceit, whether nurtured by superior intelligence, wealth, a high position, or the praise of others, is an obstacle on the path. Genuine humility is not posturing. It requires a constant willingness to deny oneself, to be critical of oneself, and to be open to heaven's guidance even when it differs from one's own preconceived concepts. St. Augustine said, It was pride that changed angels into devils. It is humility that makes men as angels. The devil preferred to leave heaven for eternity in hell rather than to humble himself before his creator. And humility would have protected Adam and Eve from thinking they could disobey God and become like him. Yet through our humility and thus obedience to God, the the devil is defeated. Humility seems to be a contradiction. And yet Jesus was meek and humble of heart. He emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. The world does not value or understand the power of humility, but we do, because it was what Christ Jesus used to save us. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That's what Matthew wrote in Matthew 20, 28. Do the people who know you see humility in you? That's an important question we need to ask ourselves. Do we rate ourselves higher than what we really are? Humility is taking the proper self-estimate of ourselves and putting others ahead of us. Do you do that? Today, as we close, I would want to challenge you with this life application. I don't have a towel with me today, but every time you wash your hands, which is a lot right now, I know, and either with a paper towel or a towel, I would ask you to remind yourself to ask this question, am I humble? Am I displaying a humble attitude to others today? You know what the first step toward humility is, is realizing that we need Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that we are sinful by nature, 
and we need the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, as we conclude this message today, Father, would you do the work in us through your Holy Spirit to convict us of our sin of pride, of our sin of selfishness. And Father, would you make us a humble people and me a humble person. Father, that I would seek others best and others first and not myself. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.